Hello, and welcome back to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Lyman. This is uh, our newest episode in which Christopher and I dive into some of our thoughts about what's happened in the shochu and awamori industry in the last year, year and a half, and what we have to look forward to in the future. I'm recording this introduction as an apology because when you listen, you'll understand that my audio is not set correctly and I sound like I'm uh, in a telephone booth and underwater and all that sort of thing. So I do apologize for that. I hope you'll still enjoy it. I felt like our conversation was so timely and improvised that it, I really didn't want to try to re-record it. So please bear with us on this one. And I promise that I'll make sure that I'll double and triple check my settings next time. So anyway, I hope you enjoy and here we go. Sometimes you need someone to be around you. Someone to sit down and pour you shochu. Sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space. Welcome to another edition of Japan Distilled. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan. And with me, as always, in Fukuoka, Japan, is my co-host, Stephen Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and we remain incredibly enthusiastic about the potential for honkaku shochu and ryukyu awamori to become true global spirits. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for a combined three decades, and we are very excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are things? Doing well, Christopher. This is our first time recording together in uh, 2024. Long, long overdue. Glad to have you back in the studio. It's good to be back. Thank you. Um, yeah, we were going through the numbers and it seems like we haven't sat down to record one of these these things since like July or August of last year, if that's possible. That's right. The last time we did one of these where we were remote from each other was uh, when we recorded the the deep dive to Inside the Still, which was one of our best episodes. I love that episode. And that was in late August when we recorded that. So uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's been a while. But yeah, here we are. And we're looking at 2024. Last year, our first episode of the year was our episode on mindfulness. Right. In uh, drinking more responsibly, right? And I don't know how that ended up affecting your 2023 drinking habits, but for me, I would say I probably drank 30% less than I had in years prior. Interesting. I definitely took my foot off the gas at various times throughout the year as well, um, to the extent possible. Obviously, when you're in market, when you're in the States and you're doing sales and everything, there's a certain occupational hazard involved in terms of the amount of the pure amount of time you spend in bars. But when I was back here, at least in Japan for that matter, certainly a lot more dry days or cucumbi, dry out the liver days, as they say. Um, so yeah, in that sense, it, it sort of held true for the time that I was in the in Japan anyway. That's good to hear. And I think obviously we encourage all of you to drink responsibly, obviously enjoy these these beautiful spirits, uh, but do so. Absolutely. A little awareness of what you're doing to your innards. I'm a big fan of drinking less and drinking better. So oh, no question. I think that's what we should all do. I, I agree with you 100%. So what exactly happened last year? I think that's what the focus of today's episode is. 2023 was a year, man. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 
it was a year. You're right. I think big picture for me, I I don't know if I can remember a year when there was more movement and more clear awareness and activity around traditional Japanese spirits, Shochu and Awamori. Okay. I've been doing this in the U.S. for a long time. Right? I started my blog in 2011. I was getting in front of anybody who would listen to talk about these drinks since about the same time. And it feels like there are a lot more people pulling in the same direction, a lot more organizations getting involved in making things happen. And that's really, really encouraging. As I was thinking about this episode and what I wanted to talk about, I realized that it was a little over a year ago that I had an impromptu opportunity to go and travel in rural Kyushu uh, with a good friend of mine who was writing a piece for uh, the Wall Street Journal magazine. And his intention was to write a piece about Japanese craftsmanship in Kyushu. I just said to him, how can you write a story like that without featuring one of the shochu distilleries that's you know, carrying on the tradition? Mm-hmm. And we ended up visiting a couple of different distilleries and a sake brewery. And he, like you and I, just absolutely fell in love with the Monzen distillery in Kagoshima and ended up putting them in the story. And it ended up being a really beautiful piece. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, that was a pretty important trip. I was only able to tag along for a night or two, but we made it into down into Saga and over towards uh, the part of that prefecture that is so famous for fish. And they make some great drinks over there as well. And that was pretty amazing. We had a, a great time at a uh, Ryokan. The town was called Karatsu. Right. In Saga, the, the seaside town, beautiful place if anybody has a chance to go. And the Ryokan where we stayed was absolutely fantastic. The, the dinner was one of the best Ryokan meals I think any of us had ever had. And that's at a place called Yoyo Kaku. Oh, that's right. If people are interested. Uh, I was actually looking to make another reservation there uh, earlier today. So <laughs> it was front of mind. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Unfortunately, didn't get to join you for the Manzen leg of that journey, but... I can only imagine how magical that would have been, especially if you were kind of being introduced to this world for the first time. And the Wall Street Journal, man, they were one of several that were really starting to dig up good information and good stories and good lines about shochu and awamori last year. Of course, Japanese whiskey has had many days, (laughs) not just a day, it's had a succession of months But last year might have been the time when things kind of started to cool a little bit on the Japanese whiskey front and the Scotch whiskey front as sales were quite flat year on year. And that was true for pretty much everything. You know, honestly, the sake shipments to the United States were down by like 8%, which is the first time in at least a dozen years that international shipments of sake hadn't climbed. Now, they, the 2022 numbers were impressive. And so the fact that they didn't eclipse that is not that big of a surprise. But I think it was a surprise for a lot of people. I think a lot of people were probably disappointed, but it was indicative of the difficult landscape for selling alcohol that sort of materialized in 2023 as people were exiting pandemic mode and... Yeah, we've got a, it's a new lay of the land we're looking at. 
alcohol sales obviously in 2023 took a beating and uh, Japanese whiskey sales went flat. Sake sales, as you, as you heard, dipped a little bit, at least what was brought in. Now, there are lots of things that we won't get into about logistics and whatnot that may not reflect what the actual sales were for 2022 versus 2023. Mm-hmm. It was just very hard to get containers across the ocean and all that sort of thing. So it could have been that people overordered and they still had enough inventory to sell, right? Yeah. Yeah. People were over inventoried. That's for, that's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Make, makes any of those sort of, you know, our sales up or down a little bit more difficult to understand, but uh, clearly alcohol was, it was like, it was on steroids during the pandemic because everybody was home drinking and making cocktails and, you know, drowning their sorrows. Mm-hmm. You know, they couldn't, couldn't go out and socialize. They were just sousing themselves at home, I guess. So, Part of our, our incentive for that episode at the beginning of last year. But I think even despite all that, I think there is a reason for optimism in in the world of, of at least these Koji spirits that you and I love so much with the JSS Shochu cocktail competition has now become an annual thing. Mm-hmm. I think participation was great last year. Some really talented bartenders ended up getting involved in doing some things mm-hmm. and this year, by all accounts, it's it's, uh, it's even bigger. Oh, way bigger. The interest was off the charts this year. I did a, a tasting in Orlando during the afternoon. We just got a, a bar before they were open and advertised it as a, a, a shochu 101 and 201 for, for bartenders. And we got something like 24 bartenders from like 20 different properties showed up during their free time to learn about shochu. And I have to believe that the shochu and awamori cocktail competition had a lot to do with that. Folks were keenly interested in winning that trip to Japan and they really wanted to get their heads around these spirits. Now, maybe in some cases, they're, the manager of the bar was like, we need to know what's coming. You need to go and, and study this and then bring the information back and tell us. But either way, there is an acknowledgement that this thing called shochu from Japan, that is not soju, that is not soju from Korea. People are starting to understand that, and it's exciting to watch. That's so great to hear, and I, I do think there's just a lot more interest. I've, I've been receiving direct messages through Instagram from bartenders who I've never met or maybe met once who are like, all right, I want to un- enter the competition. I want to do something with this profile. What shochu do I use? And I say, look, I'm not a bartender. I am now making drinks at home. I'm learning a little bit about it, but like, you don't want me to make your drink. I want you to make my drink, mm-hmm. but I've been giving them some advice and, but it's great to see that enthusiasm to see that there are bartenders very, very excited about this category. And absolutely. Obviously the incentive of a trip to Japan is pretty fantastic. I had a similar experience. I recently taught at a bar school, which was a bar school for, uh, Bartenders from all across the U.S. and foreign bartenders participated as well. But when I realized I was going to be in Washington, D.C. this spring, I sent an email to the five students who were all in the class that that I had taught. And in the past, if I had reached out to students from a a bar class that I had taught, I might get a reply. Mm -hmm. All five of them replied and all five of them want me to come in and teach at their bar when I'm in DC, all of them. That's great. So there's definitely excitement for the category. And some of these are not bars you would expect to be interested, right? Mm-hmm. Like corporate hotel bars and things like that, right? Places you just wouldn't expect okay. 
you know, it's not the cool cocktail kids only that are interested right now. It seems to be that there's a recognition across the trade that this is coming and we need to understand it. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you how happy that makes me. Yeah. It feels like it's been such a long time that I feel like it's just been us two dummies. <laughs> yeah. Rolling that stone up the hill. And now we finally have help and we might be reaching the pinnacle. And then from there, hopefully it just can all take off. So, uh. Yeah. I mean, hell, from your lips to Dennis Rodman's ears, I swear. Yeah, we've, I mean, and the JSS to, uh, I mean, at the risk of sounding like I'm brown nosing here or something, I, you know, hats off to them for continuing to put money against this gamble to continue to leverage the successes that they've had in past years and to build upon those. And they have a cocktail competition now for UK bartenders. I hope that very soon, if they're listening, then I hope they hear this, that they will soon do a a European bartender or like, I don't know if it's East and West or North and South or whatever, but there's a lot of affinity for all things Japanese in places like France and places like Italy. And, and I think that they're, might even be more participation in those countries when you when you compare them with the UK. I w- I've been fielding a bunch of emails from bartenders in the in the United Kingdom who are just like, I thought I was going to be able to get this drink. Do you have a recommendation for something else? And I'm looking around. I'm like, wow, there's no shochu available in the UK yet. Virtually nothing over there. Um, I'm really not sure what to tell you. Sounds like Hong Kong Spirits needs to have a conversation with the with the UK importer if anybody's listening. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I would be happy to have that conversation, but it, you know, it's it is very early days, and it's going to get better. But we just need we need the JSS to keep doing what it's doing. We need more competition in the shochu and awamori space. There's, of course, it needs to be more competition in in a lot of different spaces. Quite frankly, just to bring the attention and to bring eyeballs to articles and bring you know journalists to to our inboxes essentially and keep moving all of these things forward but yeah so jss shot a cocktail competition and then you had you had a rather big event in hiroshima last year i did fortunately it's not just jss who's which is the quasi-governmental trade organization for sake and shochu that's that's pushing forward now there's certainly been a lot of work done by jetro a Japanese external trade organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was hired by the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs to go overseas and do some some education and promotion. So there's certainly other government agencies now getting behind it. And I ended up getting invited by Jay Fudo, who I know you you have worked with in the past, mm-hmm. to pour shochu and awamori at the G7 summit in Hiroshima in May. And that was, uh, again, I think a seminal moment or a, a a moment in time where you're in sake country in Hiroshima and sake has always been the beverage that's served when, when dignitaries are, are in town. And of course, sake was still served at the G7 to the dignitaries, but for the foreign press, for the international press center, there was an entire uh, evening dedicated to tasting shochu and awamori. And that was pretty fantastic to, to have that opportunity and, and to, to see that the, the, the government now has the awareness that drinks can extend beyond beyond sake. So that was cool. Yeah, absolutely. We need a whole lot more of that. And then moving on, I there was, of course, Tales of the Cocktail last year, which both of us 
participated in both um, in terms of signing books or, or selling books and signing books that we were at a table, I think on a couple of days anyway, and then being panelists on a Koji Spirits talk with a couple of our other friends from the industry. And we were up against some pretty solid competition in, and I'm not going to name any names, but we, we had some very famous people presenting at the same time as us in another ballroom at Tails. And we apparently won the <laughs> attendance battle on that one. We were basically, <laughs> all of the seats were covered with butts. And I'm not sure the same could be said for our more famous competition. So that was really cool to see as well. That's right. We, we were standing room. There were, there were people lining the back wall at our, our Koji Spirits panel. Uh, and that was, of course, yourself, uh, Jesse Fallowitz from Mizu Shochu, Chris Udi, uh, who, who brings in a lot of those lovely Koji whiskeys, and uh, Toshi Ueno uh, from, from Mutual Trading Company. And, and we had a great discussion, amazing questions, a lot of really, really talented bartenders in the room who, who we've gotten to know since then who came up and talked to us afterward. Like The energy in the room was so positive. There was so much excitement. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. It really had a had a vibe that that was so. I mean, it just made me so excited for for what's coming. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I'd done those sorts of things in the past, I've presented at Tales a couple times before. I've, I, you know, we've done Bar Bar Convent Brooklyn, and and the reception has always been positive. But this, the level of enthusiasm, like the energy, was just cranked up to eleven, and that was just very very mm -hmm. cool to experience because we haven't had that level of energy in those rooms before. So that was, that was very cool to see. We have not. Yeah. Something else that happened around the same time, actually, and I, it's been front of mind for me since it happened, but I ended up doing Shochu education in the rooftop bar at the Ritz Carlton in Manhattan. And it, it ended up being a 90 minute session to 25 bartenders mm -hmm. in the Ritz Carlton in Manhattan. That's still nuts to me. Like, that was my dream right, when I was living in New York and trying to make shit you happen. That's why I have so much enthusiasm for what's coming. That 2023 just had all of these really, really key moments where I almost had to like step back and pinch myself and say, all right, this is different. Something, something's going on here. Something's happening. Yeah. I'm sure you felt the same way on any number of occasions with, with your work as well. Right. Yeah, I'd, absolutely. I, there's just generally a, a better receptivity to all of these conversations and, Clearly, the lowest common denominator in terms of the general awareness of the category is so much higher than it used to be that you can really have substantive conversations. You can get people to make decisions more quickly and and folks will buy the product and bring it in and start to work with it. That just never really happened before. So I'm excited to see what 2024 has in store for us here. For sure, for sure. I think we definitely need to talk about what's happening here in Japan. I mean, we went through the pandemic and Shochu Street was canceled a couple of years and they weren't sure they were going to bring it back, right? There was, there was rumblings that it wasn't going to be what it used to be. And 2023 comes around and they say, you know what? We're back. Yep. And it was every bit as big and as fun and as crazy as in the past. And we had some uh, journalists with us, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. That was a great time. For those of you who 
maybe have or haven't listened to it, Paul Clark, who's an editor-in-chief in by Magazine, he and I recorded episode 69 just before we went to Shochu Street. So he was in Kagoshima with us, and he and I recorded that, and then we had to, to get down the mountain and uh, into the city to get the uh, to get to Shochu Street. So really uh, fantastic that, that things are back in Japan as well. And same thing here in Fukuoka, the big Shochu festivals are back. Everything's back, right? Yeah. Obviously, domestically, shochu sales are still hurting, uh, but the, the makers are still out there doing their thing and, and you know making their beautiful spirits and trying to convince the Japanese public that they're beautiful and they need to drink them when they can. Yeah, no kidding. Buy more shochu, folks. Buy more awamori. Yeah. Stop smoking so much weed. <laughs> oh. uh, the problems that we have, right? Right, right. Well, I mean, speaking of weed, uh, there was a shochu law change in California. Oh, right. I don't know if that's a good transition or not, but why not? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> kind of as a copy of what happened in New York back in the summer of 2022, California changed its law, uh, labeling law so that shochu can be sold as shochu on a soft license, whereas you probably heard the story before, but until around November of, of last year, you could sell shochu on a soft license, a beer and wine license in California state, but you had to mislabel it as soju, Korean soju, and then you had to dilute it a little bit further than what is customary in Japan. Now, the the lower ABV, which was uh, is a holdover from the old soft license law, is still intact. You still can't bottle above 24% and sell it on a soft license. But what has changed is that now you don't have to write soju on it. You can just write shochu on it and it can be sold into a soft license, which is a huge step in the right direction, even if it doesn't really help (laughs) 99% of shochu and awamori makers that don't bottle at 24 or under. They could, they can, and some of them will, but it's just so completely inauthentic to the way that it's consumed over here. So it's kind of, it's a weird one, but that's California being California. So what are you going to do? Sure. It's baby steps. I think it is hugely important because California is a massive market and because of the cost of hard liquor licenses and because this soju rule had been in place for so long, there are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of restaurants, you know, especially mom and pop type places mm-hmm. who have been getting by with with soju or mislabeled shochu cocktails as their bar program for a long time. So there's now an opportunity for the market to correct in the sense that consumers will understand that shochu and soju are not the same thing, even if they both get sold under the same license. Correct. And while... There were lots of makers out there, larger makers primarily, who were happy to write soju on the label. That was not something that we ever considered doing just because it's so disrespectful to the the folks who make shochu. It's just rude. And so I'm glad that it never came to that. And now there's, you're right, there are more opportunities. And we should see some movement in that respect this year, I think. You'll start to see some more lower ABV shochu and awamori making it to the states uh particularly california state new york state i'm I'm surprised that you know that loophole wasn't you know the the soju loophole wasn't exploited more but it it wasn't it was really just 
shochu makers mislabeling their stuff and selling it into soft licenses. But anyways, it, it it's things are generally, you know, sales were flat for m- much of the alcohol industry. Thank you, Ozempic, for suppressing appetites, right? <laughs> and appetite affects how much you drink too. So there were all sorts of competing factors. Dry January, we'll move into 2024 20, now. How about that? You know, dry January was is certainly a thing. The the sober curious, just that movement is is a real deal. And of course, Generation Z, for lack of a better term, is much happier to to tamp down or or abstain entirely from drinking alcohol than the millennial generation was, than Gen X was, and and so on and so forth. So we have our work cut out for us, but obviously we're we're talking about a lower ABV spirit if we're talking about traditional Japanese spirits, mm-hmm. and we're also talking about lower calorie, lower everything, no residual sh- sugars, no carbohydrates, uh, purine free if you happen to suffer from from gout, and on and on and on. And so I think there's significant opportunity to tell those stories, and nobody's really doing so yet. But I think it. It could be something that would catch the attention of a of a far more discerning audience. Now, quite frankly, mm-hmm. younger consumers are all about that. I think they're all about social responsibility, sustainability, and all the other abilities out there. I think Shochu and Aomori certainly have a, a place. And there was, I believe there was a report recently that says that, hey, you know, Shochu and Aomori are well positioned this year to start to really uh, catch attention. That's right. They're they're often, uh, as I was doing research for my book, and at other points in 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 my life in Shochu and Aomori, I've sometimes ended up in these these business analytics rabbit holes, and I could never afford the reports because these things cost like twenty five grand because they're trying to sell them to Diageo and to you know Suntory, you know Beam Suntory and things like that. It's silly. But there was a report that came out uh, recently that said that it's a twenty twenty four USD analytics report for spirits. And their conclusion is that Asian spirits are, are primed to move, that probably we're looking at 5 to 6% growth uh, per year over the f- next 5 to 10 years. And this is in an environment where most other spirits uh, categories are suffering. Mm-hmm. And so 5 or 6% might sound modest, but that's actually progress where other uh, categories are likely to start receding due to the, the headwinds uh, between, as we, we've mentioned, you know, legalization of marijuana, you get to feel nice without the uh the hangover uh if you if you overindulge and then of course the drinking habits of of the next generation that's sort of like an industry insider's view that you know based on data whatever data they're using that that this is something that's coming and they specifically noted uh honkaku shochu as what's going to drive that and of course we know that with honkaku shochu comes to the uq awamori so we're not worried about the awamori following along but that's that was a um a, a, an encouraging report to get at the beginning of the year it tracks with with what we've experienced in in the market when we visited and the, you know everything we've talked about in this episode thus far with all of the excitement and everything that's that's building and and we can we can feel the energy and that that seems to the, the business folks are figuring that out too at this point i guess absolutely and we have again i'm saying jss over and over again the that competition the u.s competition is is uh, they're in the semifinals right now. I think they just announced all the semifinalists, the UK Bartenders Guild. It was a lot. I thought semifinals was like head-to-head two people, but the semifinals had like 33 entrants or something like that. 
<laughs> something like that. A lot of folks, there were quite a few that made it into the semis and they announced it over four days, four batches of like seven or eight bartenders each. There must be some amazing drinks in there if they can't narrow it down further. That's amazing. Yep. So I'm excited to see what comes of that, who makes it into the final round. For sure. A couple of weeks ago, I was getting text messages from my friend Mark Fontana, uh, who lives in New York. I know he listens to the show. So, hey, Mark, how you doing? Uh, he was waiting in a line that was around the block to get into a guest bartender shochu pop-up cocktail event at Angel Share. Mm-hmm. And if you had said that series of words to me five to ten years ago, those words wouldn't have tracked for me. Now they're hosting cocktail nights for shochu. So. Mm-hmm. And they've had Flirty Bird on the menu for years, right? That's a Mizu shochu cocktail. That's that's a mainstay. But it was that, right? It was if you wanted a shochu cocktail, that's what they had. That's what they had. Yeah, yeah. They could make you like any whiskey or gin cocktail on earth, right? You could order off menu, but if you asked for a different shochu cocktail, they'd be like, no, pick something else. <laughs> yep. Well, it helps that Edina Yoshida is at the helm right now, and she's definitely got a different way of of thinking about these things, much more new school. So I think think there's only good things to come with her running the show. No doubt about that, yeah. And just the number of, I mean, of course, you've got Koharu Usui, who's doing a shochu Sunday every week over at Bar Goto Niban in Brooklyn. And it's just, it's all pointing in the right direction, I think. So hopefully the drinking classes catch on as well and they and they ride this wave of excitement just like the bartenders are and we can all start to pick up the pace here a little bit. But it looks promising, I would say. 2024, I'm very excited about. What do, what do you think? No question. It's, uh, you mentioned Koharu and last time I was in, in Bargoto, I walked in, she was working, I wanted to say hello to her. I just had a minute to have a drink. And of course, when when you're in front of, somebody like her, you just say, you know, it's bartender's choice. You're not going to order off the menu, right? It was a busy night. You know, the bar's, bar's full. She's working with another bartender and the other bartender a couple minutes later puts a drink in front of me and she turns to me and she says, that's his, like that's his recipe. Hmm. And I tasted it and it was fantastic. And he was using rice shochu. And the fact that there are other bartenders at Goto now making shochu cocktails, not just her, right? She was the one, you know, who planted that flag. Uh, to begin with. And now there are other bartenders serving their drinks made with shochu at Koto makes me really, really happy. Yeah. So no, my, my, you, I think you can already sense my enthusiasm. I think I've presented a lot more energy, uh, more emotion in this episode than I normally do on Japan distilled. So I'm certainly, uh, really, really, I guess, bullish is the word. I'm not a wall street guy, but I think, I think it's coming. I think we're, we're on the cusp of, huge awareness, a lot of interest. And I think the only real question is when does, when does it hit? What is the moment or at what point is it just going to spread like wildfire the way that, that Mezcal did once it had its tipping point, but it's, it's coming. It's when uh, Shohei Otani is photographed somewhere sipping a sweet potato shochu and everybody's like, Oh, what's that? And then boom. <laughs> so let's, let's turn Let's give show time a new meaning. It's show chew time. How about that? <laughs> um, we just need him him to get on board. I wonder if he'll, I I mean between us we we have like eighteen dollars between us. Maybe he'll take that as as his payment. Would he would he do it deferred? I think deferred we could probably 
give him like if he could defer the 18 bucks until if until uh, we have time to save up that would be really helpful you know do something good for the all the small shochu and awamori makers in japan who are you know counting on on foreign markets to <laughs> allow them to be able to hand their distilleries down to the next generation which is uh, not guaranteed now now listen to our recent episode on succession <laughs> you'll you'll understand how hard that can be right um i Ugh. i think i mean you and i we've talked about it before on the show you and i are both huge baseball fans and shohei otani going to the dodgers obviously is great for the dodgers it's great for shohei otani i think it's actually very good for baseball just because it's the biggest star on one of the biggest teams and let's leave that aside as far as you know buying success or whatever but is he ever photographed like in gotcha situations i don't think he is i don't feel like i ever see his private life you're right he's pretty buttoned up about that i think they put him away in the box at the end of the day and he goes in the cupboard and then they bring him out for the next game and yeah kind of like ichiro was these guys have this unnatural almost ability to keep their private lives private and great for them like you know that's what that's what you should do. Yeah. Uh, but, and he's such a golden boy, right? Otani's just this, this golden God and this incredible baseball player and, and can do no wrong. Uh, and I hope it stays that way. I, I want him to continue to be this otherworldly creature that we all just admire and, and root for. I'm not worried about that. He, it's just hearing about his parents. He was raised right. He was raised very well by his parents. And so I think, I think you've got a fantastic human being there who just happens to also be the best baseball player ever. Can we just get him to like shoot you? I know. Let's send him some. What's his mailing address? Do you have it? I, I Yeah, it's in my Rolodex. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go flip through that real quick. Do we have any connections to the Dodgers? Um, not. This would be easier for the Houston Astros, unfortunately. Oh, right, right, right. Well, I guess we're just about done. Are you sipping on anything right now? I am. Uh, it was a little chilly in my office uh, this evening, so I broke out the OUID. Also an ode to Christopher returning to the show. <laughs> and I am drinking one of our favorites, Hitori Aruki. Nice. From Furusawa Distillery, who uh, obviously we both love and admire Masako-san and everything she does. And Hitori Aruki is a, a joy white sweet potato shochu that her father uh, actually created as part of his his legacy. And it's a really, really beautiful shochu. And it's one of those ones that you and I sometimes describe as almighty. Mm-hmm. It goes every which way. You know, with soda on the rocks, hot water, whatever you want to do. It's it's just a beautiful drink. How about you? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I actually just, she made that for me, Oyuwati, yesterday at the world's first ever Oyuwati Shochu event where there were like 18 makers at this event yesterday. Everybody was making Oyuwati and she had Hitori Aruki and she was doing that one warm. So that was, that's funny. I just had that yesterday, yesterday afternoon. I am also drinking Oyuari. I am going with uh, a barley shochu called Kanehachi, mm. which is quite nice in a variety of different ways. And it's super, super toasty. So I like that one with hot water as well. So That's a gorgeous shochu. I was out for dinner last night at a Chinese restaurant here in Fukuoka. And there were two shochu on the menu. And it was uh, Sato Kuro and Kanehachi. Wow, nice selection. Yeah, yeah, very good selections. That's clutch. All right, well, Kampai to that and Kampai to 2023, kindly getting the hell out of the way so that we can 
take it to the next level in 2024. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts? I mean, just let's onward and upward. Let's just keep pushing and, and, uh, make this happen. It's, it's exciting times and love to hear from our listeners about what they think. If they've seen similar shifts in awareness or in availability, uh, where they live, that'd be uh, great to hear. Thank you all very much for listening. If you have not already, then please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled podcast wherever you enjoy listening. It really helps others to find the show. And please feel free to reach out to us on social. You can find me at Christopher Pellegrini on both Spoutable and Instagram. How about you, Stephen? Uh, you can reach out to me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter, not X, and Instagram. Uh, and check out our website, japandistilled.com, for the show notes on this and every episode. I have a feeling that notes on this one will be light other than a few links, but they'll be there. And of course, please don't forget to sign up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash japandistilled. I do have things planned for that, I promise. <laughs> well, from both of us here in Japan to all of you all around the world, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled Podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Audio engineering by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please give that a listen as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Time's up.